Hello again, and welcome to the Meningitis Foundation podcast. We're providing you with information about meningitis, septicemia, and the diseases that cause them, pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. I'm sitting in the studio today with Paul Gilbert, one of the founding directors of the Meningitis Foundation, Aotearoa, New Zealand. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I thought it was important to have somebody from the foundation come on and be part of this podcast, even though you're behind it and it's your channel for sharing information and awareness raising. I thought it was a perfect opportunity to actually explore a little bit more about the foundation itself. Mm, Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a real journey and it's been pioneered by a group of committed volunteers and supported from the very beginning by the families who've been impacted. And really, it started with uh, a recognition that there was no voice, collective voice for the families who have been impacted. And so a small committed group of people gathered together around that problem. And that's really where we began. So when was that, Paul? Well, we began when we observed there was nothing in the space. There had been a prior uh, meningitis trust that had had, had unfortunately um, closed its its doors. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of our families have talked about the meningitis trust. So you're going back quite a significant number of years. Yeah, early two thousands really was 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 when that fell over for for whatever reason. And and so we we did a, a scan of the New Zealand. Um, environment and recognised that there was a big gap there, that there was no group uh, giving a voice or advocating for uh, prevention and harm minimisation. And that's the space we stepped into because we could see a real need. We were concerned and alarmed at the ongoing uh, occurrences of the disease in the New Zealand context. Uh, and we um, remain concerned about the um, low, you know, the the low levels of awareness um, that we've observed in, in in some areas around the importance of vaccination and prevention, etc. So even low levels of awareness, even after the major outbreak that was in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, that's right. We 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 have the benefit of having some members of the team who are closely connected with the clinical community, and even they have a hunger um, in general practices amongst the practice nurses and GPs for more information, better information, continuous professional development, but also out in the broader community where the disease presents in many cases just like the the, the flu or, or, or a cold might in, in, in the early instances, there was a real hunger for, well, how do I know? What am I looking for? What are the signs, the, the early things that I need to be thinking about as a, as a concerned parent or family member when I see someone in my household becoming ill? And, and, and what do I need to do? Because every second counts uh, in those first few hours um, and getting urgent medical attention is so important. So it was really very much about sharing relevant and timely information as widely as possible. And continuing that education and awareness that had been been there around the time of that outbreak, no doubt. Well, that's right. I mean, it never stops. So we have these peaks of elevated public awareness that go hand in hand with the major outbreaks and then complacency slips in and, and, and um, people become uh, more relaxed, less aware, less vigilant. And so really uh, on behalf of the, of the families, uh, who have been impacted or have not yet been impacted, um, we're trying to support them with awareness and information that that informs and arms them 
to make good decisions quickly should should menin- meningococcal disease be suspected. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you're wanting to achieve as the foundation? Well, the, the primary... Uh, purpose of, of of the foundation is is, is twofold. There, there's the, the upfront preventative measures. And so what we like to do is we like to think about it in, in the way that any good parent would with their children getting into a car. Getting vaccinated is the best possible measure you can take. It's like putting on your seatbelts. So in the event of a crash or in the event of, of a, a child or, or someone becoming exposed to and contracting meningitis, um, the best possible preventative measure one can take is having a seatbelt on, and that's being vaccinated and, and up to date with as many uh, um, of those uh, options as possible. And we'll get into some detail about that a little later. The second element is is harm minimisation. So that's early identification in the event that you suspect meningitis is at play mm-hmm. and getting immediate medical attention as quickly as possible. So th- those are the two major core elements of our purpose as an organisation. And then there is some very important tertiary stuff, sort of the third part, is around connecting families together who have been impacted and allowing them to share their experiences with each other because for many of them, they say that is profoundly helpful in dealing with the impact of the disease. Mm-hmm. And the information that you provide, what type of format does, does that take? Well, the, the primary mechanism that we have for doing the work that we do is our website. Uh, that, that really does deliver a broad range of information on, on all the elements that I've just talked about. But we're also doing uh, information and delivering information into general practices by way of posters and, and um, symptoms cards. Uh, and uh, there's a, a number of our members in our team who are active in different spheres. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking here, for example, um, one of one of the board members, Nick, is, is, is very much a part of the clinical community. He's in and out of emergency departments and hospitals up and down the country on a regular basis and talking with clinicians and, and, and helping inform us as a board about what the needs are, what the areas of interest are, where mm-hmm. some research is happening. So those are um, some of the key elements. Now, Paul, you mentioned a little bit about research there. Are you involved in research into this field at all, or how does that work? Yes, we we are firm believers in collaboration and working in partnership with others, and so there are a number of examples of that, um, ranging from universities and the Immunisation Advisory uh, Group, IMAC, uh, as well as uh, facilitating access to our families that have been impacted to to support um, ongoing research. So an example of that uh, is uh, some PhD work that's um, going on around the epidemiology at the moment. Um, another example of that is some work we did um, with the University of Auckland and, and others around vaccination um, efficacy and the rates of, of vaccination. Uh, and more recently, well, throughout our time as, as the Meningitis um, Foundation, we've worked very closely with the Middlemore Foundation and Counties Manukau uh, because they were at the forefront of dealing with one of the big epidemics that occurred some years back, and in, in, in particularly it was hard, hard hit in, in South Auckland. Mm. And so really 
very interested in developments and learning and research that's occurring in our space in terms of the two key themes of minimising harm and preventing people contracting the disease in the first place. And so there are a lot of different elements to that. Mm. And as you said, complacency sets in in those periods between epidemics. So being able to keep that awareness and um, vigilance up is really important, I gather. That's right. And there's degrees of variability in terms of things like um, some communities are extraordinarily good at getting themselves vaccinated. The Pacifica community, for example, have extremely high levels of vaccination. So it allows us to um, uh, moderate our communication to try and address areas of, of, of um, great greater need. You know, where are the gaps um, what are we seeing in terms of, of, of patterns and, and um, where do we need to apply additional pressure in terms of making sure we're getting adequate vaccination schedules and messages into general practices where there's areas of the greatest need. Paul, I just wanted to jump back. You mentioned that there is a high vaccination rate in the Pacifica population. Can you tell me, I'm just a little confused because I've been hearing a lot of instances about how the Maori and Pacific populations as a whole have a very low incidence of vaccination rate. Okay, so there's, there are degrees of variability, but some of the statistics I've seen from um, IMAC, the, the Immunisation Advisory Group, uh, indicate that there are um, high levels of compliance occurring within the Pacifica community in terms of getting themselves vaccinated and organised. Now, I'm not sure of the detail of how that works. Um, some, some theories have, are, are around encouragement that occurs through other social structures that exist in the Pacifica community, mm-hmm. particularly the likes of churches. Uh, but um, it's, it's not the same uh, across the Māori community. So there are varying degrees of adherence to vaccination guidance, which comes through uh, in different communities. And we're really trying to follow the guidance that we get, which is that to achieve herd immunity, where even those who are not vaccinated are protected because the majority of those around them have been. Uh, We're really strong advocates for vaccination. We support vaccination as widely as possible and also the increase of of availability of of, um, scheduled vaccinations against the predominant serotypes which are occurring in the New Zealand society at the moment. Brilliant. Now, we've got Dr. Api Talamatoga who's coming in to be part of this podcast as well. So if anyone's interested in those that information about the Māori versus uh, Pacifica population and the vaccination rates, um, we'll certainly address that in the conversation that we have with Api as well. Mm, yep. Now, interested to find out how the foundation is funded. Can you enlighten us a little bit? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so um, it has uh, operated for nearly a decade on the smell of an oily rag, um, which means that everybody who works there does so on a 100% voluntary basis. Mm-hmm. So it's funded essentially on the goodwill and donations of um, people, predominantly those uh, who have been impacted um, by the disease. Um, those, those donations have come from a broad range of, of, of individuals, families and businesses even where members of, 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 of a, uh, a community or a team have been impacted and they have felt compelled to do something about that and to, to donate money to the foundation. So uh, all of those monies are um, 
receipted in a charitable manner. So there's a 30% rebate available to people making such donations, but um, it's quite a broad range. It, it's very um, small scale, mm-hmm. um, but it does assist with the operating costs of producing the material, running the website, doing the actual work uh, that, that we do, communicating the messages that we need to communicate. And you mentioned previously a little bit about your work with the Middlemore Foundation for Health Innovation. What's the relationship that you've got with them? Well, we were uh, very aware that New Zealand is amongst the most uh, over-serviced country on the planet in terms of the number of charities we have here compared to the population. So we, we, we took a look around and decided that we possibly didn't, need, didn't really need another charity. So what we did is we set ourselves up underneath the umbrella of the Middlemore um, Foundation, which has a registered charitable status, and, um, and they do all of the administration and, and management of, of our charitable status on our behalf, which is a, a, a real blessing and a significant cost saving to us so we can just focus on doing the work we need to do. So there's a, there's a strategic partnership there in place with the Middlemore Foundation. So people can be assured that the money that they donate to the foundation doesn't pay for the administrative costs, that's actually covered by Middlemore and it essentially goes straight into the awareness and the education and some of those research interests. Yeah, 100% of the money goes into delivering the impacts that we've committed to the community we're going to deliver for them. That's right. And how do people get involved in the foundation? What's the community that you've created around the foundation? Well, there are a number of different ways. Um, I think the most powerful one is for the families who've been impacted and and providing them with an opportunity to engage with each other. So um, a lot of that happens uh, through social media. Um, We have occasional events. Um, Some of those events have really been quite um, outstanding and, and, and very moving. We had a, a research report that we um, launched in Parliament, for example, a few years back, where a number of members of the community and families that have been impacted were able to attend uh, that event with us in, in Parliament and launch that report with the Minister of Health and others present. There's nothing more powerful than having the families t- share their story in that situation, is there? Well, it's what it's all about, mm. really. I mean, it, it, it's why we exist as an organisation. Um, and, and so uh, there, there are sometimes regional um, um, groupings or events that occur, um, all of which is communicated through the website and through our Facebook presence. Mm-hmm. Um, but predominantly, uh, it's, it's uh, an online scenario because that's the most cost-efficient way for us to work at this point in time. And as you mentioned, some of the families create some of their own events, fundraising and awareness awareness raising activities in their own communities. Yeah, and there have been some wonderful examples of that um, in hairdressers in, in Wellington and and uh, in bookshops of, of the South Island and, and, and that organic, um, uh, um, those organic events are really the most special and genuine because they're engaging with the local community and, and in many cases the local community have a personal relationship with the, with the families that have been impacted. Mm-hmm. On the funding side of things, just before we move on, um, do you receive any government funding at all? Uh, no. No, there's uh, no government support at this point in time for what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe there's a pretty strong and compelling case that there ought to be. Uh, but at this point in time, that's not occurring. Uh, it's one of those 
matters which seems to be on the periphery of of, of ministry priorities. Um, and sometimes, in in to be honest, we're challenging some of the of 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 the. Um, the current state. So, for example, um, at present, we, we we feel there could be greater protection uh, against uh, meningitis in terms of, of available scheduled vaccines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, there's a na- there's a there's naturally a, a, sometimes a tension there um, because that's all controlled by Pharmac, which is an agency of the government. And so, sometimes we are a critical friend to the government. So, it, it it's a, it's a complex um, situation in terms of of receiving government funding and then. Do we want government control over our messaging and what we do? Mm-hmm. Not so sure. Mm-hmm. Now, you've always talked about the foundation being very pro-vaccination and unashamedly so. How? What's your view about the current situation in New Zealand with vaccines that are available, but available on the private market, particularly for meningococcal disease um, that aren't readily available to many families in New Zealand? Well, I think I don't want to typify or stigmatise those households who have been impacted by meningitis by saying it's a disease of poverty, but there is a very strong positive correlation with certain circumstances that occur, like over-occupied dwellings, for example. Like we're seeing with the outbreaks and the epidemics. That's right. That put people at more risk. And when people are at more risk because of their socioeconomic circumstances, to have a regime that requires a paid-for vaccine is presenting a barrier to those people who, uh, by definition, have the greatest need. So I have a problem with that. Um, I mean, philosophically, it just doesn't sound like the right thing to be doing, that those who have the greatest need uh, receive the, the 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 least in terms of of the opportunity to avail themselves of those vaccines, even though they are readily available in New Zealand. They they're expensive, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, therefore unattainable. So if people are making a choice in their household uh, between essentials and the possibility that that there there might be uh, an additional risk to their their children um, through meningitis. I'm afraid practicality steps in and and we have um, less coverage and less safety than we could have otherwise if it was sponsored by by the state. Mm -hmm. Because in the the end, the disease is rather diplomatic. It doesn't um, discriminate at all, does it? Well, no, that's right. I mean, the... the, um the bacteria uh, that causes um, the many many versions, many serotypes of it, mm. lives in in the, the back of, of of the throats of probably fifteen percent of the population. So many of us are carrying it around with us every day. If you think of a sports team, a soccer team, or a rugby team, or a netball team, at least one or two people in your team are carrying the the, the bacteria and could quite easily with the swapping of, of some, some spit, excuse me, being crude, but uh, sharing a drink bottle or sharing a spoon or a straw, uh, that's how uh, this this can be or spread. sneezing, yeah, and yeah, coughing. Absolutely. So uh-huh. that close proximity, that's why people living in intense uh, situations, halls of residence or over-occupied dwellings are more susceptible. That's why babies and infants who touch everything with their mouths uh, are, are, are more susceptible to picking up um, the disease that way. And, and so... Um, that heightens risk uh, and and is something that we all need to be aware of and, and, and consider in terms of our behaviour. 
So how do you feel when you see or are aware of an epidemic like we've had just recently with meningococcal W in Northland? Does that frustrate you? That uh, It does, yes. It worries me deeply. Uh, it's uh, yet another example of reactive um, response when we had a proactive opportunity um, through vaccination to address that. We'd seen the a view of the future through the epidemiology of other countries. Uh, we knew from the research that there was a likelihood of that occurring. Uh, we did not act. So the the message that you've got for for parents or for the government, what do you want to say? Well, I, I think um, remaining vigilant, aware, uh, switched on um, for those who, who can and um, check your vaccination schedules, make sure you're up to date with the with the vaccination schedule. Uh, if you have uh, the opportunity, um, take the extra steps, go out, Purchase the available vaccines. If 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 you can't because you can't afford it, please tell someone. Tell your GP. Tell your local MP. Um, mm. You know, raise awareness of of this issue at a grassroots level across the country, um, because um, ultimately uh, the message might get through to Wellington. So, how can people get involved in the foundation? How can they connect with you? Well, look, I, I think uh, the more people that share our messages and, and, and um, share our posts and, and share our podcasts, and uh, the better. Um, we'd obviously be tremendously grateful of any financial support, no matter how modest it is, to allow us to continue to, to spread, spread the word and raise awareness and mm-hmm. continue to develop the materials that we do. Uh, all of those things help. It's, it's, there's no silver bullet in, in, in public health and in fighting meningitis. It's a collective effort. It's through the, the, the sweat and work and, and, and conversations of many that we will, will, will ultimately conquer uh, this disease. But I do want to give people hope because in other countries, and I look to Holland as a shining example, they've done an extraordinarily good job of eradicating meningitis. So it is possible to make a substantial difference and reduce the harm that is done by this disease if we all work together. Now, Paul, the Meningitis Foundation is also part of a confederation of meningitis associations or organisations around the world. And together you you work towards World Meningitis Day on the 24th of April each year. Can you tell me a little bit about the activities that are underway within New Zealand for Meningitis Awareness Day? Yeah, look, it's great being part of an international network of, of um, sister organisations. But here in New Zealand, well, I'd be encouraging people to go to the to our Facebook page. There's a broad range of activity planned uh, each year, and this year in particular is very strong. There are elements there um, through the Facebook page where there's a closed environment for impacted families, which they can join. And, and um, we've found that uh, families that, that have become a part of that have found that tremendously helpful for them as they work through the issues they have encountered. Uh, also, uh, a public campaign. So all sorts of resources on there, downloadable um, fact sheets and symptoms cards and infographics. And so uh, really would encourage you, if you possibly can, go and visit our Facebook page, like it, share it as much as you can, and just grow the momentum and build the momentum and awareness around that day and that focus and, and the ongoing need for vigilance. 
Now, I should mention that the Facebook page can be accessed by typing into Facebook the Meningitis Foundation, and that will bring it up. Um, And please do go in and, and like the page and share as many of the posts as possible. The website, which gives you a whole raft of information about the diseases, about the vaccines, about all of the different strains of the diseases as well, can be accessed at www.meningitis.org.nz. So, Paul, on that note, thank you for joining me today and telling us a little bit more about the work of the Foundation. Fantastic. Thanks. It's been a privilege. Now, if you'd like to make a donation to the Foundation, there are also details on the website about how you can go about this, um, or you may wish to run your own fundraising activities. There's some great ideas that have been shared by some of the other members, so please feel free to connect with the Foundation, ask the question, and see how we can support you. Now, that's all for today. Thank you for, for joining me, Paul, and for all of our listeners, we look forward to having you join us for the next episode. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.